Well, good morning. I give everyone a welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as we come to, to worship our great God. I also uh, welcome those who are following with us on live stream. It's good to have everyone here. Let me uh, note two quick announcements. Uh, this is, of course, a special day. Let me first note uh, for church members, uh, you'll be voting uh, next week or somewhere there on the bulletin. Uh, you have opportunity to vote for our new deacons. So just take a note about that. You'll be receiving information about it as well, and that will be done online. Now we have our special day for our next meeting uh, will be to, for you to vote on your next uh, pastor. And that's going to take place uh, after this service. Uh, those of you who are not members, you're welcome to stay if you like. Uh, but after the, the service, what's going to happen is um, uh, Jeff and Evie Birch are going to go out to the pavilion. And there they certainly would like to greet uh, everyone. Uh, so afterwards, whether it's after the, right after the service or after the uh, congregational meeting, we encourage you to go out there. Let me note also for those following on live stream, we're going to live stream the congregational meeting, but we're going to actually turn it off after the worship service, so you'll have to refresh um, your whatever it is, your refresh uh, to get the... Uh, <laughs> The next meeting uh, to go. I need Megan here to tell us what to do. But uh, somehow, you just keep refreshing, and eventually you'll get the um, uh, congregational meeting. Now let's uh, prepare our hearts for worship. Eight writes of this, We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. And we come now, our great God, in the midst of this sanctuary, and that we, uh, we do think and we meditate and we give you praise for your loving kindness that is shown to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may by your spirit the uh, offerings of, of praise and thanksgiving that we present to you will be that which gives you honor and delight. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Let's stand and sing together, Here is Love. confess our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Absolute privilege for my wife, Evie, and myself to be with all of you uh, this morning. We are very, very excited about the possibilities uh, of what God may do in our midst. And we've had a wonderful weekend so far, met many of you, and, and just are overwhelmed and humbled by uh, the love that you've shown uh, to each of us. And so we're grateful. One of the privileges we have uh, in worship, which is truly the heart of the Christian life, the heartbeat of being able to come into the very presence of God, to glorify Him, to exalt Him, and to commune with Him in prayer, 
it never ceases to amaze me that God draws near to us and invites us to draw near to him. And so printed in your bulletins is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer our Savior taught us to pray, so our model prayer. So we are going to, in unison, pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then I will lead us in a just brief time of pastoral praying. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, what a privilege it is as we think about this prayer Jesus taught us to pray, that we begin with the words, Our Father. Not my Father, not your Father. We pray, Our Father, reminding us that we are a covenant family, that we belong to you, that you are our God and we are your people. We are your treasured possession. And that we come to hallow your name, to set it apart as holy, as unique, and so we ask, Father, that we would set your very name apart and hallow your name in prayer right now. And we do long for and ache for the coming of your kingdom. And so we pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done here in central Georgia as it is in heaven. We pray the rule and the reign of God, the good news of Jesus to come into this part of your earth, of your planet. And then, Father, we think about the fact that you invite us to ask and you promise and you fulfill giving us our daily bread. And so whether it is our material needs, our temporal needs, our spiritual needs, we lift up those who are hurting in our midst, those in the congregation who are going through trial or affliction. They need, and we all need, especially daily bread. We are reminded that you're the father of all compassions and the God of all comfort, that your mercies are new each and every morning. And we ask that you would pour out in abundance your mercy upon those who need it, those who are sick, those who are shut in, those who are going through affliction of various kind. And then we seek your forgiveness as we are committed to forgive our debtors. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would cleanse us, create, as the psalmist prayed, create in us clean hearts, O oh God, as we seek to be gracious people to one another. And Lord, as your will for us is holiness of life, we pray, lead us not into temptation. We confess our weakness and our total dependence and reliance upon your grace. So we humbly plead, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we recognize that there is a spiritual warfare going on around us, and we need deliverance, we need protection, we need to resist the devil who prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And we recognize once again that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And as your children and as your people, we give you praise, 
we ask that you would be exalted, that your name would be glorified above all else. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. in your bulletin, and we invite you to join us as we sing.
seated. Mind if I just take this in for just a second? First of all, wow, choir. God is moving because one thing's for sure. Y'all don't know this. I love Andrew Peterson. So excuse me if I wipe tears away from my eyes for a second with that song. That was absolutely amazing. And that will be on our playlist, I guarantee you, as we're driving around and all of that. And then just to see the providence of God, just in, in, in some fun ways. Okay, if you've noticed, and I'll stand out here for this, I am not six foot two. <laughs> just to set the record straight, you know, when you do all this interviewing and stuff, and as the search team has said uh, on numerous occasions, one of the blessings of God from COVID is the ability to do things through Zoom, so we've been seeing each other and all of this kind of stuff, but you all haven't seen me, and so... When the search team informed me that I was going to be the candidate and Marion was just so amazingly gracious to offer some of his time for me, I, um, I said to Marion, I said, pastor to pastor, I need to be a little vulnerable with you here for a second. Can you give me a clue as to the size of the pulpit? Because I need to know, am I going to need to bring a, you know, a footstool or something like that? because I'm five foot three. And Marion, pastoral heart that he has, he just went, well, I'm five foot five. And I said, done. I don't know how you're voting later, but I'm showing up at your doorstep. So you might, you're just, you're stuck with me. Uh, we praise God. Evie and I are so grateful to be with you this morning. And we're humbled and overwhelmed by the love that you've shown us. Uh, we're very hopeful for the possibilities of what God might want to do as we partner together in gospel ministry here in central Georgia. And if you want, I'm going to pray and then read our text. There are outlines uh, that are in your bulletin. You could pull that out and that provides you. You could either take notes, you could follow along. Uh, you might sit there and say, well, wait a second, he's on point three. He's getting close to being done. I mean, whatever it is, you know, you feel like as we kind of work our way through this, but this will give you a kind of a, an idea of where I'm going uh, with this text, which is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And so would you join me in prayer, and then we're going to read the scriptures together. Father, uh, first of all, I thank you so much for this privilege and this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. There is no greater privilege that I have than to be a herald and a steward of the mysteries of your grace. And Lord, my prayer for my own heart and for each one of us here today is that we would see Jesus clearer and fall in love with Jesus. You have given us your word, not to just give us deeper information, not to just say, oh, I want to make smart people, but you have given us your word as an expression of your lordship that we might fall in love with you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, may we receive your word with eagerness, with tenderness, with teachability, with hearts that are eager to know you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Friends, hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Well, why did I choose this particular text as the text to preach from on, as my candidating sermon? Yes, there is no question. It's one of my favorite texts of the Bible. I can't lie about that. As a matter of fact, one of my best friends, uh, he was one of my references. And so I know that Ken Atkins had the opportunity. I think it was Ken, no. It was Lou Tepper. Lou Tepper had the opportunity to speak to him. Mike Boland, when he found out I was going to be candidating here, he says to me, he says, Jeff, you are preaching Isaiah 6, right? I said, Mike, you know it. Isaiah 6, you have. Now, why is it, besides it being a personal favorite and all that, why is it that I wanted to preach that? Well, because it gives us a beautiful picture, a snapshot of a gospel vision. I mean, you all have a very important responsibility in a few moments, that of voting and discerning whether you believe that I'm called to be your next pastor. And so it's right. You should be asking, who is this guy? What is he all about? Not just what does he believe in, but what's his heart? What is he all about? And so I wanted to share this because the heart of what I believe is our vision for us as individual believers and as a church is that we need to remember who we are as a people and we need to be a people captured by, gripped by, saturated in the gospel of God's grace. If I want Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church to be known for anything, I want when people, when they hear about us, to be able to say, that church bleeds gospel. That we absolutely, our blood runs gospel. That we're saturated in and captured by. And the key to living out of this is to to be saturated in the gospels, to remember our gospel vision. Let me tell you a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was called by God to bring spiritual reality to the people of God. The situation to which Isaiah was called was really not a whole unlike a whole lot unlike our own. Verse 1 tells us that he was called in the year that King Uzziah died. That was about 739 B.C. And King Uzziah reigned during a time of incredible material prosperity. So they had a lot of things going for them, 
but the nation was in spiritual decline. Sound familiar? And Isaiah was called to bring the reality of God, the triumph of his grace, to a people in national, religious, and social disintegration. And so this text speaks to the triumph of grace. And here's where you can pull out your outline. Because remembering a gospel vision requires four things. A gospel vision is stunned by supremacy, is silenced by sin, is shocked by salvation, and is sent to serve. I want this, this can almost become a template or a paradigm for experiencing ongoing, continual gospel renewal in our lives. In other words, it's a way of speaking and massaging into your heart the reality of the gospel. It's a way of growing by faith. That we always have to have a vision before us of the supremacy or the lordship of God. Our own sinfulness. The scandalous nature of salvation. And the implication that we don't exist for ourselves. We've been sent to serve. We don't exist to be a great church. We exist to make a great community. That God has Lake Oconee here for the sake of the city and the area and central Georgia. So let's work our way through this. Okay, look with me at verse 1, the first point. Stunned by supremacy. Verse 1 begins, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge social media person. I'm not always a huge fan of Twitter and stuff like that. I can't wait to work with Megan. I'm glad she is the expert at it. And I will be leaning heavily on her expertise in terms of that. But I found this to be very accurate. A particular pastor said this on Twitter, and I was like, okay, that 140 characters I'm going to bookmark. And he said this, he said, when Isaiah sees a vision of God, he doesn't cry out, wow, but whoa. God doesn't overwhelm us with how brilliantly like us he is, but with how disastrously unlike him we are. Friends, I think we have to recognize and get used to the fact that God is not our co-pilot. God is not to be our buddy. God is Lord. And if you want to understand, I'm going to try to make the message of the Bible as simple as I can for you here. Not that we can get our hearts around it as well as we need to all the time, but here's the simple message of the Bible. And it's actually a freeing and comforting message if you think about it. The message of the Bible is simple. It's that God is Lord and he wins. I mean, this text is not only a tremendous text of gospel vision. This text is also a tremendous text of the Reformed tradition. Because from beginning to end, this text is saturated with the initiative of God. 
This is a God-centered text. Look at the picture we're giving. It's an incredibly, it's an absolutely incredible one. It's of God seated on a throne. Now let's think about that. What is that picture showing us? That is a picture of God as king. King is not co-pilot, is he? King sets the terms. King says this is exactly what happens. You've got the angelic attendants around him holding session with his royal court. Every detail of this picture speaks of awe and wonder and otherness and transcendence. This is, hallowed be thy name, God is God, and we are not. Now, our culture doesn't exactly uh, excel in transcendence. We want everything to be manageable. We want everything to be controllable. We want everything to be, we're the experts. We have to have a sense, if we're going to have a gospel vision... If we're going to lead God-centered lives, we have to have a sense of the awe and the transcendence of God. I'm always struck by the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, for instance, that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, because it's like discipleship 101. The fear of the Lord is not just, oh, the fear of the Lord, that's for the elders and the pastors and the seminary professors. no. That's discipleship 101. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The start of a gospel vision is to have a sense of the supremacy and the awe of God and to have a sense of reverence of who God is. I remember my first experience with transcendence. I may have been about six or seven years old. I was born in Brooklyn and my father took me to Manhattan, to New York City, to see a New York Knicks basketball game. To go to iconic Madison Square Garden. My little heart was beating. I couldn't wait. I was so excited. I was getting to go with my dad to see Earl the Pearl Monroe or Walt Frazier or any of these guys play basketball, and I couldn't wait. We came out after the game, and we're walking down the street, and we came to the base of the Empire State Building. My father has my hand, and I just remember standing up there. And this is before the World Trade Center was built. And I just remember standing up and looking up and up and up. And I thought to myself, I didn't have any real thoughts of God. I didn't have a sense of a personal God. But I did remember thinking how small I was and that the world was a pretty big place. My first inklings of transcendence. Now, I mean, look at the reaction because the reaction here to the presence and the glory of the Lord is reminiscent of the picture at Mount Sinai when the Israelites assembled before the mountain. Remember that? The scene was there of cataclysmic proportions, thunder, lightning, cloud, trumpet blasts accompanying the divine presence. And the people, remember the people's reaction? They weren't like, oh yeah, I'm going to go talk to God. They were kind of like, oh no, stay away. You go, Moses. We're hanging back here. In a sense, not a bad reaction. Sometimes I think we make God a little too familiar. Now, can you imagine what Isaiah must have been feeling and experiencing as he encountered the divine presence? Let me give you a hint. He's not going, wow, chill, 
pretty cool. He's blown away. The text tells us that he saw the Lord an experience that usually brings about with it death. When Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, the Lord responded in Exodus 33 by saying, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So let me ask you a question. Why doesn't Isaiah die? Where is his death? He sees the Lord and he doesn't die. Or, and this brings me to my next point, look with me at verse 5. A gospel vision is silenced by sin. Isaiah responds, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, what does he do here? We need to understand the word woe. He is pronouncing a covenantal curse upon himself. Isaiah says he saw the Lord and we ask why he didn't die. And then in verse 5, he is ruined because he has seen the King, the Lord Almighty. May I suggest that what is going on here is that Isaiah is indeed experiencing a sort of of death. He is dying to himself. As Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. In other words, again, here's another discipleship 101 moment. This is not just for the spiritually mature and the spiritually together. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me. This is like Jesus' evangelistic message. I'm not sure how well we would do if we started our evangelism. You know, we always like to start our evangelism with kind of like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus starts his evangelistic message. You want to follow me? Here's what it looks like. Die to yourself. Huh. Your ambitions, your agenda... Your selfishness, your self-absorption, your self-centeredness, die to all of that. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word that is used here and translated ruined is used of the silence following disaster or death, which is why I called it silenced by sin. One of my heroes in the faith is a man by the name of Jack Miller. Jack Miller was a pastor and a theologian and a seminary professor and a missionary. He went home to be with the Lord in 1996, but through his writings, he had an unbelievable influence on my life. And he wrote a book called Repentance in 20th Century Man, and in it he writes, The truly repentant sinner has discovered through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that all his doing is full of sin. His doing is the source of his wretched emptiness, his black depression, and his self-despising but now he has come undone. He turns from his sinful doing and trusts in what Christ has done. This is the essence of repentance. See, listen to Isaiah. Pierced to the heart by the knowledge of his fallness, he cries out, woe is me. He doesn't cry out 
I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He doesn't cry out, well, I have some flaws, I have some mistakes, I blew it the other day, I'm a little impatient when I'm driving down the road. Isaiah becomes undone. He's at the end of himself. This is not someone who can pull himself up by the bootstraps. This is someone who says, I'm lost, and I live amongst a people who are lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. There's nothing good that flows from without, within me. And I live among a people of unclean lips. See, do you want to know why we don't experience more power in our Christian life? Why we don't experience regular, ongoing, continuous renewal? You want to know why we sometimes have a small Jesus, a small Christian life? Our worship can be dry or stale. We can be a little prayerless at times. Anybody ever struggle with that? Am I the only one? We ever struggle with things like that? Why our relationships might be nice and cordial, but are they really intimate and powerful and life-giving? It's because we don't want to experience what Isaiah experienced. And we don't want that to be a regular part of our Christian lives. See, just like we become a Christian through the gospel, we live the Christian life through the power of the gospel. This is not only a paradigm or a message for our initial conversion or, sal or salvation. This is also the template or the paradigm for growth in grace, for growth in the gospel. If we're going to have a gospel vision and grow as a people, with, it's only going to come by seeing the glory of God, seeing our sin. And yes, there's more to the sermon. You get to see more. This is the bad news part of it. So stay with me. But we need to recognize we don't want to be undone. This is just a little too radical. This is just a little bit too much. We want to remain in control of our lives. We may be willing to admit we're sinners to a degree, but to come undone, that is too much. But see, as we come undone, how does God respond to our sin? Because as we go through this text, we're going to see that his response is both shocking and unexpected. Which is why we call it shocked by salvation. And let me tell you something about how I preach. Every sermon, and you're going to get to, get to know this after a time, it's kind of really simple. It goes bad news, good news, and then implications. It's almost like reading Ephesians chapter 2. You get through Ephesians chapter 2, and how does Paul start? He starts with bad news. He says things like, and for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That doesn't sound too like you're just flawed, does it? I mean, how much can a dead person do? And he's talking about you're dead in the trespasses and sins and what you once walked following the course of this world, and he's going on and on, and you're kind of going, oh, I'm depressed now. But then he gets to verse 4, and he says, but God, and all of a sudden you wake up. But God, and some of my favorite words in the Bible, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you know the heart of God? I mean, not just the principles about God, not just his theology, but his heart. What makes his heart beat? What makes him go? God is wealthy and exuberant and overwhelming 
with mercy. See, we're thinking this undone part with sin and all of this kind of stuff, that's bad news until we recognize that God's heart, it's kind of like a magnet. He sees undone and he sees ruined and he sees somebody who's broken heart and he goes, God being rich in mercy. Because look at the text. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me. Doesn't say Isaiah got... See, if you're undone, if you've come to the end of your... Isaiah can't get up. But this, here's the heart of our Reformed tradition. God sends the seraph to Isaiah. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. And it's so significant. I want you to notice something, that the live coal which was brought to Isaiah was brought from the altar. Because it was significant that it was brought from the altar. In Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, is described for us there a perpetual fire for the burnt offering. Listen to the text. This is Leviticus 6, 12 and 13. It says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. Listen to the urgency of this. Don't let it go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning. You getting the feeling this is kind of important? It must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. The text invites us to ask the question, why is this so important? See, the perpetual fire on the altar goes beyond symbolizing the divine wrath or the divine anger. For the altar was the place that God had chosen where the holy God could accept and was satisfied by blood sacrifices. So when the seraphs take the coal from the altar and apply it to Isaiah's lips, much more than just the fire was being signified. The coal came from the altar, and the altar was the place where by blood sacrifice, through substitutionary sacrifice, atonement was made. God is satisfied. God's justice is fulfilled. Do you know what this means? This is why the text says, and I wonder how much we know it and understand it and embrace it in our lives. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. The psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your guilt, your sin from you. See, we're good, or at least I'm good. I know you know what, I'm, my spiritual gift might be self-contempt. I could easily sit there and say, oh, Jeff, you blew it in that sermon. Boy, point two was terrible. You went way too long with point one. That was a dog of a sermon. I'm good at that. But do you know what this text tells us? Do you know what the scandalous nature of salvation is? Do you know what the good news is? God doesn't do that to us. God says because of the sacrifice... And from our perspective, where do we see this fulfilled? We see this fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ. This comes together at the cross of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, atonement for our sins is made so that God sees us and he doesn't see guilt, he doesn't see shame, he doesn't see condemnation. He sees Jesus in us. And here's his heart. Your guilt 
is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, to the degree that we sense how undone we are, to the degree that we, in a sense, go down and see our sin, it's to that degree that the message of grace, that the message of the cross, that the message of there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is just amazing. Doesn't it want to make you work? Doesn't it lead you to worship? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, they'll laugh at me on live stream, but part of me wants to go, yes! That's incredible. And it's to the degree that we understand the bad news that that good news galvanizes us. And galvanizes us to what? See, we've said a gospel vision requires us to be stunned by supremacy, silenced by sin, scandalized or shocked by salvation, but then we're sent to serve. See, look with me at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Anybody remember the old TV show in the 1970s, Welcome Back, Cotter? There was one of my favorite characters in it was that Arnold Horshack guy. Remember him in the classroom? This was me in seminary, by the way. Ooh, 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 ooh. This is Isaiah when the live coal touches his lips and grace has entered into his life. This is the implication and the propulsion of grace. He now hears the royal court and the Lord saying, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah, before even ever knowing where he's going, who he's sent to, what his call, and read the rest of Isaiah chapter 6, wasn't a fun call. I mean, Isaiah wasn't getting to go to beautiful Lake Oconee and beautiful Lake Oconee Presbyterian. Isaiah was getting to go to a pe- people who largely were going to throw tomatoes at him. But Isaiah, because grace has gripped his heart, goes, ooh, 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 send me. Do you want to know how, great, how we'll know grace has gripped the church? We will be going, send us to the community. Send us, we'll be asking questions like, I wonder what Greensboro really needs to flourish. I wonder what Greensboro really needs to have the gospel proclaimed to them. I wonder how we can make Greensboro and Eatonton and Madison and Putnam County and Greene County, how can we make central Georgia beautiful? We'll know grace is gripping us when we'll be going and Russell, you can correct me if I have the numbers wrong. Not just 64 sheds of hope, 264 sheds of hope. Grace will be gripping us when we want not just 20 people in ESL, we'll want 50 people in ESL. Grace will be gripping us when the questions we ask is not how do we make Lake Oconee Presbyterian great, but how do we make our city great? So you need to recognize this is the basic identity of the church. See, after Jesus was resurrected, John chapter 20, he says this. He's speaking to his disciples, and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
The church exists not to itself be great, but to make everything around it great. One of the things that you will learn, I'll close with this illustration. One of the things that you'll learn about me is that outside the Bible, one of my favorite books is The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. I read it to our son when he was growing up. I like to go back and reread it every few years. I just love it. But kind of the, the hero of it is Frodo. And Frodo lives in a place called the Shire, and he's just he's about to begin his journey, and he's talking to one of the elves at the beginning of his journey. He's still in his own land. He's still in his own home. And so his home has been a place of comfort and a place of security. And here he is. He's just walking around, and he's talking to one of the elves, and he's met his first danger. And he asks, has this danger reached even my own home? Can't I even walk in my own home and in peace? The elf answers him. The whole world, the wide world is all about you. You can fence yourselves in, but you cannot forever fence it out. Friends, do you recognize the world is all about us? And do you want to know what the hope of the world is? The hope of the world is not government. The hope of the world is not any program. The hope of the world is the church. The hope of the world is a church that has been captured and galvanized by the gospel of God's grace and knows its identity has been to be sent into the world to serve the world. The whole wide world is all about us. We can forever fence it in, fence ourselves in, but we can't fence it out. Oh, that we would be a people gripped by the glory of God, stunned by supremacy, silenced by our sin, undone, recognized we can't live this vision by ourselves. We can't live this vision. We are at the end of ourselves. We must rely not on our strategies. We can't manage our lives. We have to rely on the grace of God. And the grace of God is scandalizing and shocking. And then grace propels us outward to be agents of God's kingdom in the world. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for my own heart and for each one of us that we would be gripped by this gospel vision. I ask, Father, that we would have a vision of your glory, knowledge of our sin. We would be shocked by the grace of your salvation, and that grace would propel us outward to serve our community. Father, thank you for your word and just our time together to worship you. Thank you for your presence and your spirit in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. session expresses its sincere gratitude to the team members for their diligence, thoroughness, and faithfulness in carrying out this very challenging task. The Pastor Search Committee's recommendation to call Reverend Birch has the full support and endorsement of the LOPC session. The session is impressed with the spiritual maturity, credentials, skills, and strengths that Pastor Birch brings to our church. Accordingly, the LOPC session strongly and without exception endorses Reverend Birch and recommends his election as the senior pastor of Lake County Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you, Jim. Uh, next, going to ask uh, Elder George Roundtree. He's going to come up. He's also the chairman of the search committee, and he's going to read the terms of the call. <clears throat> thank you, Marion. I guess it's uh, not good morning any longer, it's good afternoon. Uh, let me read the form of a call. It comes directly out of a book of church order, and we filled in the blanks as appropriate. The Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, being on sufficient grounds, well satisfied of the ministerial qualifications of Jeffrey Birch, and having good hopes for our knowledge of your labors that, you, that your ministrations in the gospel will be profitable to our spiritual interests, do earnestly call you to undertake the pastoral office in said congregation, promising you, in discharge of your duties, all proper support, encouragement, obedience in the Lord, that you may be free from worldly cares and avocations. We hereby promise and oblige ourselves to pay you a sum of 133735 a year in regular monthly payments and other benefits such as retirement, insurance, vacations, moving expenses during the time of your being here and continuing the regular, as regular pastor of his church. In testimony whereof we have respectfully subscribed our names this 14th day of March, A.D. 2021. Uh, please let me get through the slides on this, and I, at the end I'll be happy to answer any questions, and we've got some backup answers in Wes's uh, 
Okay, the uh, salary part of a package is uh, $78,122. The uh, housing allowance is an estimate. We, uh, Jeff, of course, has not uh, uh, bought a home or rented a home, so we think this is uh, relatively accurate, but we will use accurate numbers when they become available. Uh, the benefits package, uh, health insurance, of course, is a big number, uh, $19,020. The folks at the IRS have done us no favors. What used to be a uh, non-income expense has been turned into an income expense, and the 19000 is income to Jeff. We are looking at whether we might be able to put together a group package just for the church, which would then allow you to provide a benefit that was non-taxable. But that's not the way it is right now. Uh, other benefits would be uh, 8400 a year in uh, retirement, uh, long-term disability insurance through RBI, the Presbyterian uh, Benefits Organization. Life insurance is 360. Social Security and Medicare allowance for $1,900 is uh, Social Security on the uh, uh, taxable amount of health care. Total is 30613 The total uh, package is the 133737 number. Obviously, that's not the number that Jeff gets as a uh, take-home. And moving expenses are going to be provided, but they are not part of a call, and unfortunately, they too are taxable. Uh, are there any questions on that? I'll try to give you an answer. Going once, going twice. Okay. Thank you, George. Now, um, uh, we're you know we'll be voting in a moment on whether or not you want to to call uh, Jeff, but right now I'm going to be asking you to vote on, on these terms. Are they acceptable terms? And uh, seeing that there are no uh, questions uh, for George, let me put this to the vote. All who are in favor of the terms of call uh, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, no. All right. Now I'm going to now ask uh, George to make the official nomination. As chair of a senior, senior pastor search team, I nominate Reverend Jeffrey Birch as the next senior pastor of LOPC. Do I hear a second? Okay. Thank you. All right. And then are you ready to proceed uh, to the election of a pastor? Okay, uh, then uh, you go ahead and do that now. You may indicate on your ballots 
then just uh, raise your hand and uh, Ken or Mark will come by and pick up your ballot. All right, um, and then they, and I'm going to believe Mardell, are going to take these ballots. They're going to go and count them right now, and um, we'll wait till they come back. I don't think it'll take them too long, and they'll, uh, we'll announce the results hopefully in just uh, a few minutes. So you can, you can chat with one another if you want to.
Hey, get their attention, Russ. Late. All right. Everyone quiet down. Quiet down. Okay, I'm going to ask, actually, I think I'll ask the clerk to announce the uh, results. The results of the election are yes votes, 134. That includes in-person as well as email, and one abstention. Thank you. So you have uh, approved uh, Jeff Birch to be your next senior pastor. We're going to ask Jeff and Evie to come in. Okay. Now's the time to clap. Now they're coming in. <laughs> Jeff and everyone shall come up. And Jeff, uh, why don't you say a few words? So I take it I don't have to hold any more babies or anything like, like that? Uh, you won't catch me speechless too, too often, but uh, Evie and I are very, very overwhelmed and very, very grateful and looking forward to a very long and fruitful partnership with all of you in gospel ministry, looking forward to getting to know you and just, y'all are now our new church family and we are very, very excited. And I guess, I guess I only have one more hoop to jump through from what I understand, and that's on April 9th I'll be uh, examined by the Central Georgia Presbytery. So you all can pray for that. Pray, pray that they like this five foot three uh, <laughs> in, in terms of that. But Evie and I are great. You all are so loving, and we just can't wait to, to dive right in and plug in and get to know all of you and, and just kind of our stories kind of move forward together as under the sovereignty of God. Grateful to the search team and to everybody. Thank you. What, um, um, what has to be done for you to get it? What, what's going on with the, your own house, and when do you hope to come here? Okay. Um, well, our house is for sale, and we're hoping to find out this afternoon. We got a call from our realtor last evening that an offer was made, and it's an offer that we feel good about accepting and so our hope is that this afternoon through the mir miraculous work of technology and internet we'll be signing contracts and all of that and the hope then is to be here uh, the last week of April and to be I'm hoping that my first Sunday in the pulpit is May 2nd and so that's what we're kind of moving towards uh, we have to find a place to live so we may be homeless. So if you see anybody in, the t in a tent out back, <laughs> we sell a home and stuff. I'll show up to preach, but don't, you know, call the police on us or anything like that. So, but that's, that's the hope is to be here the last week of April and ready to go the 1st of May. Thank you. So, you know, you can say? I just... Yeah, come over here then. I just want to give a special thanks to Marion and Ginger. They have been so incredibly gracious. You know, Jeff and I have been in ministry for 33 years, and we know that it's difficult when the next pastor comes in. 
And I just want to publicly thank them for all that they have done and just the kindness. Uh, Jeff and I personally know that's not easy. So to you and Ginger, thank you. Thank you. Now, um, we still got two more items real quick to do. Uh, so you're welcome if you, if you want to just sit for a moment. It's not going to take long. No, you can just sit right here. Uh, the first thing we've got to do is um, uh, you, the congregation, have to elect who are going to be, who are going to sign the call that we will take to Presbytery. So this is the next thing has to be done. So he has to be examined. And then we take this call to Presbytery, and it's Presbytery who actually hands it to them. But they, we have to have signatures, and I'm recommending uh, that the search team seems to be appropriate. They were the ones uh, to sign this call, and I'll uh, welcome a nomination to that effect. Okay, there's a motion, second. Okay, uh, all in I am kind of railroading this, I know. All, all in favor, say aye. aye. Opposed, no. Okay. Now, one other thing that has to be done is um, that uh, you, the congregation, have to nominate and vote on the commissioners who will take this to Presbytery and prosecute. It's called prosecute. I don't know why. The call before Presbytery. And again, I would recommend two elders, George, as he was the chair, uh, the committee, and then uh, Jim as clerk uh, of our session. And if so, that's agreeable, if someone would make that motion. Okay. And there is a second, I think. All right. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Aye. <laughs> Always got to have somebody. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. We give you praise, our God, for your, for your goodness uh, to, and faithfulness to this congregation. Uh, you have shown that ever since uh, this church uh, was founded over 20 years ago. You continue to show it uh, up to, to now, as you always will be. For you're a God who is ever faithful, a God who has a steadfast love for your covenant people, I thank you for uh, the blessings you have shown in this congregation. We thank you that you have raised and you have called uh, Jeff uh, to be the pastor of this church. We thank you uh, for Evie, uh, for the blessing of this couple. We pray for their house cell to go through and um, that we'll have no problems with that. We pray for the examination of Jeff to take place in April. And, uh, and do pray that all will go smoothly, that, uh, again, he will be back in this pulpit on May the 2nd and uh, prepare him for, for, this talk, for this calling. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Um, why don't we move Jeff and Evie outside, give them a chance to walk outside, and then you go out there and congratulate them. So... All right, y'all just head on back out there and, uh, and people will come out there and meet you.